what they really are looking for in these types of cases is that you understand me, that you trust me, that you're not judging me, and that you have the solution I want. I encourage people to make sure they have a really good subprime financing option when they're doing yep. this type of thing. You, most people who need this work are not falling in your highest credit scores. That's just the reality. So you have to have a way to work with them. So there's a weird propensity that I see, like holding on to like 90 style yeah. peer credit interest free interest free financing. Like you offering a person 12 equally unaffordable interest free payments doesn't solve their problem at all. Yep. Right. Yep. Welcome to another episode of the Full Arch Advantage podcast. I'm your host, Gary Bird. I'm the CEO of SMC National, where we help you have predictable new patient flow for offices just like yours. And today, I got the privilege to interview Genevieve Poppy, and she has a great take and a lot of experience on how to get more people to say yes in your office. And I promise you, she's going to share something with you you've never heard before, things that you haven't really thought of before. So stay tuned. All right, Genevieve, so could you tell me what you see as the biggest obstacles holding people back from being successful and getting more full arch cases into their office? Yeah, there's um, there's a couple things that I see just really commonly happening in full arch cases, uh, especially in offices that are doing this as sort of just part of their service mix, not their entire practice, right, where they're trying to incorporate this into a general practice. Uh, first, clinically, um, I tend to watch a lot of overwhelm, over-explanation, or in, in dentistry, we like to call it education. Um, and while there are a certain segment of patients that I think find that interesting, I don't see that work very well in the okay. full-arch space. Um, most of these patients have gotten to the point of needing this type of restoration for a lot of neglect. There's a lot of shame. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of issues with it. And they're typically not the type of patients that want a big education or want a lot of detail or want a lot of options. Mm. They want you to hear their story and they want a simple solution, right? So I could dive into that very deeply. Yeah, let's dive I've into that. You said it's over overwhelm versus what? What was the other one? Uh, it's it's overwhelm or sort of over-education of Got these it. patients, leaving that, you know, let's it's talk, information let's talk about that and options. If I yeah. was selling, if I was selling, you know, a hundred thousand dollar case, and I was sitting in the well, office, I would think a big part of what I would need to do is educate them on what's going on because it is a big buying decision. So where where is that disconnect? Where where are people getting that wrong? Right. Well, uh, it starts with just kind of the beginning, and that we start and from the place of being the experts and wanting to explain all of the things we can do, all of the reasons why we're the best person for doing it, and really. Where I watch this be way more successful is to sit down and let a person talk about themselves, right? Let them tell you their story. Let them talk about all of the things that got them there. Understand what they want to accomplish and then assure them that you can do that. Yeah. Uh, instead, what we do is, you know, a lot of people that do this type of dentistry are technically really amazing clinicians and they have yeah. a lot of tools in their belt. And they're dorks. They like to talk about it, right? Like, that's the stuff that excites them. <laughs> but the patients who need this work are not excited about that stuff. They're excited about the end game, the solution. They actually want the simplest explanation. They want you to tell them what they should do and assure them that we can get the result that they want. Um, so sometimes I'll see people get really deep into options or deep into explanation of components and different types of 
implant pieces and corrections and it, it's just way too much. And yeah. I watch people on the patient side just completely shut down or completely freak out, like the fear and overwhelm sets in. Yeah. And it isn't that they showed up for that consult not wanting a solution. It's just that it the thing that's held them back for all these years has just been reaffirmed for them that this is hard. This is <laughs> you know scary that this is expensive. Yeah. And yeah. Well, it is all those things, but that isn't how we want to make them feel. Sorry to disrupt the show, but I got something crazy to share with you. We are attempting to connect with all of our listeners. We have thousands of people that listen to this podcast, and we want to meet you in person. We have four events coming up, and I want to give you a discount code that you can use for the next week to save $300 off your ticket. The discount code is Gary Bird, and the link is going to be just down below. You can also go to smcnational.com forward slash events. I hope to connect with you in person and help each other grow our businesses. Can't wait to see you soon. So so what, what I've learned in the marketing industry is that <laughs> marketing is a very broad term, right? So mar- yes. I can say marketing. You might think of something. I might think of something totally different. Everybody might have a different definition of what that is. So to successfully sell marketing services, we had to productize it, which means it's like, hey, we're giving you this thing that's going to do this result. And it's way more complicated than that. But we had to simplify it because dentists aren't going to go out and learn every nook and cranny of all the different marketing stuff. They're dentists. And so is that is that what has to happen in these offices is you kind of have to productize that end result for the patient or is there another way that you're thinking about it no that's actually very it's a it's a good parallel it's it's very similar to that um and that if you can understand what a person wants and you can simply say hey yeah we can get rid of all these teeth that are bothering you and we can put some in there that won't come out that will stay in there that'll get what you want done they're going to look great and feel great you know let's figure out how we work that in your budget that's just a totally different feeling um, than where I watch some people go, which is explaining all of the steps of it, explaining layers of options of it, um, and what all of those differences are. A lot of times you don't even have to go into those options if you understand mm. the person's budget and their desires at the beginning. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, I I know, and, of, and as a, as yeah. a skilled person, right. And I know you're a skilled person, yeah. dentists are skilled people. We have our yeah. skill sets that we have all this information. Sometimes it can feel like we're cheapening what we do by just doing this one thing and simplifying. And what I had to kind of train myself on is, no, 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 no. This is what's making it consumable to the people that need it. Right. If you want to deliver all of this expertise, right, you have all of that skill and that knowledge in your pocket, and there's the occasional person who wants more of it. But we lead with it, um, I think, in our own insecurity. Like, we're all comfortable talking about the stuff we know about. Uh-huh. And for a lot of clinicians, that's like, you know, where they live in their expertise and they think that they think that they're building confidence in patients. And to some extent they are, but patients already sort of assume your con- your competence when they come in that door. And I know you're de- you're de- you're doctor. Hear that you went to school right. for a long time. What they really are looking for in these types of cases is that you understand me, that you trust me, that you're not judging me and that you have the solution I want. And I know that that takes some of the um, exciting part of it off the table sometimes, uh, but people can come around and want to know more along the way. I, I just think we way overdo it in a lot of cases on that in that first uh, consultation. Got it. And one of the things you said in there is one of the big takeaways is how much is it going to cost me, whether that's the total yep. amount or the financing. 
where, where, and I know this is all changing as we speak. I, I, I keep mm-hmm. getting sideswiped by other companies that are like, no, we do this now. So where are we right. at in the current state of like financing when it comes to full arch? Well, I and mean, there's a lot of solutions out there, right? Um, I encourage people to one, have money conversations early, right? There's no sense in building a hundred dollar treatment plan or hundred thousand dollar treatment plan if this patient wants church teeth, right? Like, and that's okay. Some people, that's their starting point. Um, but I watch people put in a lot of time and energy that doesn't even need to happen if we haven't had a budget conversation kind of early in the conversation. How, how early? Um, like, where are you, th- where, where, where are you seeing that? Cause I've heard, I've seen people uh-huh. who qualify on the, in the marketing before it even gets to the office. Yeah. Those are more uh, like the full arch, uh, the people who they're like funnels. surgery centers. Yeah. That, that, that's all they do. And then right. I've seen dental offices that wait until the person's in the chair and already done a lot of the legwork and the consultation and those kind of things. For me, in an ideal world with a skilled person or people to do it, I actually like a ballpark conversation on the first phone call. If we can, you have to do that right, of course. Yeah. Um, and you have to have people with a certain amount of knowledge in the actual restorative side, fielding those yeah. calls to understand what a patient's translation of their situation is. So that's like perfect world. But if you really want to do a lot of them, having a good person to field those phone calls and getting people mentally resourceful around money before they see the doctor is really valuable. Um, but if you don't have that, uh, some of the most successful like prosthodontists and pros guys I know have been amazing at saying, hey, have you thought about a budget for this? Yeah. Right. Like yeah. right at the beginning, because there's no sense in building, you know, the perfect, you know, study, you know, study club case for this person. If what they have to work with is $10,000, it doesn't mean yeah. we can't do something for them or yep. start somewhere for them. Um, or sometimes that actually opens up into a better conversation. Like, well, you know, some people come in and they'll say, well, I, I was thinking $5,000. They're just, their planet of reality is just, it's not even there, but you can say, well, do you think you could do $5,000 a year for a few years? You know, like you can get people yeah. resourceful, um, yeah. but a lot of docs just really shy away from that, thinking that if they just educate people to want this perfect outcome, that we just educate them, that then they'll do it. It's it's the facts that will get them there. Yeah. But I think if you can get money on the table early, you're, you're actually doing the, the patient a great service to get comfortable with it as they go along. Mm-hmm. Um, but also you're doing yourself a service to not, you know, take models and do a wax up and you know, do all build this, this whole piece yeah. that you're going to bring them back and present later only to blow them out of the water and be disappointed about it. Yeah, that's a great point because dentistry is not like other industries. Like minivans are like $80,000 now and everybody's like, saying, yeah, this is how much a minivan costs, right? And we right. kind of understand that. But no one ever walks into the dental office and goes, oh, that's very reasonable ever for any service, yeah. right? It's always yeah. like, whoa, wait, 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 that's like 10 times Nobody more. Said, well, that's about what I had in mind. I was, that's about what I was thinking. You know, that's not that rarely, rarely happens unless somebody's really done their research or they've had another consultation. Yeah. Um, the other end of that on the financing thing is that I, you know, there's tons of financing options out there now. And I, I encourage people to make sure they have a really good subprime financing option when they're doing yep. this type of thing. You, most people who need this work are not falling in your highest credit scores. That's just the reality. So you have to have a way to work with them. Um, the, the That's a good weird, point. That's a really good this, point. So, yeah. so the, the lower credit scores are in relation to poor maintenance on on their teeth, and then they they need the work more. Is that the correlation there? 
the I mean, there's a lot of correlation between low income, lack of access, you know, lack of being raised with a certain prioritization for that type of thing. Um, most people, if they had money freely flowing, would have visited the dentist more regularly along the way, right? And so by the time they get to this point, there are some people who've just reached a certain age and they have yeah. the money, but that's not the majority of them. Um, the other thing is similar to buying a minivan that I really encourage teams to do is to talk about payments. <laughs> so there's a weird propensity that I see like holding on to like 90 style yeah. peer credit interest free interest-free financing. Like you offering a person 12 equally unaffordable interest-free payments doesn't solve their problem at all, yep. right? Yep. It's a, yep. And they don't, at this point, they don't care about the interest. They care about it being affordable. Yep. So I'm saying, give them the lowest payment you can possibly give them. When people go and to buy an $80,000 right? minivan, they don't say my budget's $80,000. Yep. They say, I need a payment under 500. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a right? great point. Because so, the car... The car industry's really figured that out too, because it wasn't always yeah. that way. Cars used to be, I very would talk yeah. to my dad and he was like, when I was a kid, I got a car for $4,000. I paid cash for it. And it was Correct. like, oh, cool. That's, that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Like uh, you can't buy a car now for that much, but that's, that's cool that you were able to do that. And now the car industry's totally changed everybody's thinking. It's they, yep. every budgeting tool that you have, it's like what percentage of your budget should go towards a car payment? Like they've done a really good job. The dental industry yes. hasn't really done that yet. We don't yeah. think of that way. Probably the closest would be ortho because they do a right. lot of in-house financing. But yeah. the rest of dental has no, that that's not even on the table. Even though they're offering payment options more, I just don't see them presenting it in more of a consumer-friendly way. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, they don't, <laughs> a lot of dentists listening to this won't really appreciate the car dealer comparison. But we are, I mean, we are talking about something that is yep. cost as much as a car, yep. right? And so most people can't afford to pay that in 12 payments. Yeah, exactly. So you have to, and this is the tricky part, and I, I haven't been able to figure this out. I've asked a lot of knowledgeable, pe- knowledgeable people, people, what is the addressable market that we're actually talking about here that can afford this? No one really knows, right? Like, so it's just well, like, everybody's like, well, we're still kind of filling this out. If we know anything, if you look at the dental side of things, the GP side, you have Mm -hmm. 50% of the total population goes to the dentist roughly, right? So, okay, we have that. Then you have ortho. Out of everybody who needs ortho, I think it's like 1% end up getting it or something like that. So it's like way underutilized. And then this this whole specialty all on four, that market's still forming. There's still a lot of education going into it. So there's, there's, there's opportunity there. But you have yeah. to be equipped to open up those opportunities that normally, like five years ago, you would have just said no to. So are you, what, what, how, how do you recommend that you have that conversation about the, the finances when the person, so you've already felt them out and they already know it's going to be $50,000 or it's going to be you know $500 a month or something like that. How are okay. you, when, you, when you're bringing in the third party lender, how are you handling that part? Yeah, it's... And so I guess it's, it depends on the office and what they have available. Um, I have some practices that I've worked with in this space that actually will work with like a local bank or two to get like a kind of like a preset uh, lending arrangement for their yeah. patients, which I think is really smart. Um, you know, saying we have people who fall in this category, you know, and, and they'll kind of work that out. I think here's what I think this is a generic answer to this, but I think the big place I watch this fall apart apart around money is that 
our dental teams are so uncomfortable with the idea that people can't afford this, that they cannot stay in the conversation that's so uncomfortable uh, to help them find a solution. Like my overarching advice for it is to start having how conversations, like how can we do this? Not let's see, here's the number, like let me know if you're going to do it. And most yeah. of the time we'll watch them sort of land it at the end and then they hand them five brochures of resources and they sort of say, let us know if. Yeah. Whereas if you can sit there and say, you know, well, let's see, you have this much and maybe that available to you in a home equity loan and you have, um, you know, maybe this much that we could do through our lending partner. And, you know, do you think you could come up with this much? And just like yeah. actually sitting in the discomfort of this and is figuring uh, it out with what seems pushy. And some people will say it's forward. But these are patients who really need care. Like they they really don't have choices. Yeah. And so if you can be the human that helps them figure out how you're not pushing it, you're not selling it. You're to me, it's genuinely helping yeah. people do it. And this is a gap in the medical uh, insurance world. Right. And I know people are trying yeah. to figure that out, but it's not we're not talking about like, oh, I just have to straighten one of my teeth here. We're talking about being able to eat or, or right. things like that, like really crucial things. And to your point about like having the ability to have that conversation, it's so important. It's like I, I related to going back to cars. If you sold oh. Hondas and I was a, uh -huh. a Honda sell, salesman, it's like, oh, OK, yeah, I like Hondas. I can afford Hondas. But then I try to go over and sell yachts. I'm going to be like, man, is any people are going to spend $10 million on a yacht? And I project right. that no one can afford a yacht because I can't afford it. Correct. Or I don't understand why people would waste their money on that or something like that. I'm projecting that I'll never right. sell a yacht. Like no one's ever going to buy one from me because I'm projecting that. And I've seen teams do that where they are projecting that, oh, this is too much money. You're not going to, you're not going to want to buy it because I wouldn't buy it. And it's just well, the wrong yeah. approach because they don't need on for the page, the, the, the team member doesn't need it. So they're, they, right. It's like you have to take yourself out of your shoes and put yourself in the patient's shoes. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I watch people really psych themselves out about this. Um, and I tell people all the time, you know, I coach a lot on verbiage and approach and I do a lot of training on this stuff. But I, I also start all of that training by telling people the reason I think I'm good at it is that I totally believe people are going to do it. Like that's 95% of the battle is that I just, I don't think somebody came into the office to get our opinion in a treatment plan to get fixed up, not wanting to do it, right? They, they came in hoping to find a way to do this. And so I just sort of adopt this belief that it's my mission to help them figure out how, yeah. even if that's uncomfortable for both of us. <laughs> that's really um, good. I, if I you've that. ever done it, you know, if you've ever had success with it, or even if you've ever had any level of dental need, I grew up uh, as a kid with really bad teeth. And going into the dental industry, I felt very self-conscious of the fact that I had stainless steel crowns from when I was a kid. And I felt, I mean, it wasn't even a very visible thing, but I genuinely felt really bad about myself for it, like embarrassed, like maybe I shouldn't even be in this industry embarrassed about it. Wow. And so I, I guess I can come from this place of real empathy for how badly you can feel about yourself when you feel like you haven't had that taken care of, even if it's not super visible. And, you know, a lot of people in dentistry today have like never even had a filling. You know, they, they don't have any, any uh, reference for that unless they've seen the impact it makes on people. Yeah. Um, but even then, a lot of the people that we're failing to help are the people that need it the most. Yep. Who need a real solution. Um, yeah. 
And sometimes those cases too, you know, and so I tell the doctors, sometimes those cases get started in an interim step. Sometimes they're what not do you, ready what do you for mean? that. What do you mean by that? Help me understand what that means. I mean, uh, sometimes you can really help a person out by making them a denture, even though you don't like to do that step, even though you think dentures suck, right? Like yeah. all of that stuff. Um, yeah, I heard a dentist we, one time say to me, and this this was really hit me hard. He said, yeah, this person might need a ton of perio and uh-huh. I recommend it, but they don't have the money for it and they don't have the time yeah. or whatever. And so I will just say, fine, do a normal cleaning on them. It's not going to get the job done. But it's also not going to hurt anything, right? It's not going to. Exactly. It's not going to break anything, and it's going to make them well, feel a little bit better. And it's a yep. step in the right direction. It's not the best step. It's not what we'd recommend. It's not the ideal situation. And hearing yes. a dentist say that, and I, I asked, she asked him. I said, "Why? Why are you saying this?" He was like, "Because most dentists don't think this way." Correct. Most dentists will say, "You, you have to leave our practice if you're not going to do this thing my way." And our, you know, they get it. They get attached to their version of perfect. And sometimes a person has to try a denture to realize that it's not a, a tenable long-term solution for them. And sometimes yeah, yeah, yeah. actually just getting the teeth that are hurting them and causing them pain out of their head and something that they can go to the store with actually is really helping them, yeah. even though it's not your version of perfect. Yeah. And so I, I just feel like we take on a high responsibility in caring for people if you really want to be in the full arch space. And a lot of people you're going to see might not be ready for your perfect solution today, but if you can help them now, they might get ready. Yeah. And even if you don't want to do that treatment, you can always refer it, right? Like you could figure out a way to get that treatment to someone else and, and say, you know, Hey, we're probably not the best fit because this is all we do, but you here's some other options and we'll, we'll gladly refer you over there. And there's people that would be happy to help, help those people in your, in every market almost, I would imagine. Absolutely. You can almost, and they'll be, they'll, they'll send you the stuff when most of the people who will do that are not yeah. ready to do the thing you do. It, it can be very symbiotic, but I I just think we get hung up in a lot of um, perfect outcomes and like we hey. want to do it a certain way from the beginning. And not everybody who needs that type of care is going to be able to do it out of the gate. It doesn't mean they won't be able to do it ever. Got it. Okay. Last question for you. So yeah. how, who, who have you seen that does the best at getting people to say yes at to full arch? Has it been dentist? Has it been the dental assistant, the treatment coordinator, or is it more of like a team effort from your perspective? Um, I have worked with a couple of dentists that were really incredible at it, that single-handedly, um, that they, you know, they were sort of a, a, a one-man shop. Uh, both of them, ha- both of them, their single biggest commonality was their comfort in talking about money right away. Mm-hmm. Just, just super easy. Just like both of them put out the same posture, like they kind of cross their arms and lean back, and they just say, "You know, Gary, have you thought about a budget for this? What are you thinking? You know, we could come up with a plan that'd be like a used car, or a plan that'd be like a Mercedes. Where are you landing? You know." And they just have these very normal conversations. It wasn't weird or awkward. Yeah, and most most dentists don't want to talk about money, right? Like I would say, yeah, the vast majority so don't. Uncomfortable. Yeah. And if you can't get comfortable, I've seen treatment coordinators who are really good at it. Um, kind of long answer. I feel I feel very commonly, especially if you're kind of running out of a general GP office, a lot of times the person who is your treatment coordinator in that office is not the ideal treatment coordinator for this kind of case. Yeah. They're used to explaining insurance benefits and estimated portions and being detailed about that stuff. And the the treatment coordinators that I see do the best at this secondary to doctors who are amazing at that 
are your best assistant who you don't want to give up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so a lot of times yeah, I've been there, in office, right? They're there with will, you. They will, get that it. person is in your office. You don't want to give her up because, you know, she's like indispensable to your side, but that's who you need to put on it in a lot of cases. Mm. That's a really that's a really great point. If if someone wants to reach out to you and learn more about what you do and how you help offices, because I know you help offices in a lot of different ways, what's what's sure. the best way to connect with you? Um, well, I'm pretty much the only Genevieve Poppy around on <laughs> on Facebook. It's true. Uh, my website is Poppy Practice Management, P-O-P-P-E, practicemanagement.com. You can schedule a call with me right from there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This has been very insightful and I love your perspective on these things. Thanks, Gary.